0: Hello, everybody. We are back again. Episode 16 of the Comfort Films Podcast. This is Spinal Tap. Great movie. It's so great. We're ripping again. We're back in the saddle with Rob Reiner, you know, playing with the tassel, spinning the beanie, flipping <laughs> the hilo. You know, we're here. <laughs>
1: These are terms I have no understanding
0: of. I don't either, but That's I just, good. I feel like if I just stay strong, you know, the right words will come to me.
1: That's good that's yeah. uh that seems like your mo generally yeah, I have it to serves faith. you
0: well sometimes I mean there are times yeah. that you know I'm just kind of left out you know in the rain with my cheese <laughs> you know <laughs> you know in the rain with your cheese and that's gross wet uh, cheese
1: <laughs> wet food in general <laughs> but just think unless about, it's like meant to be wet but like, like
0: a wet burrito
1: um, well that's meant if it's a wet burrito on purpose. Yeah, but that sounds If it's gross. a burrito you dropped in a puddle, <laughs> oh.
0: not so much. I like to dunk my burrito in a nice mud puddle.
1: Oh, God, that's rank. It's good. You get no. all
0: the earthy proteins in there. It's A lot of coating.
1: Okay, so I, when I was a little kid, I think I've told you this before. I hope I haven't said it on the podcast before.
0: Okay. One
1: time, like, I was eating some bread. Uh-huh. I was a big fan of just eating a piece of white bread.
0: You, me, and my dad. All bread people. Just
1: one piece of bread was just great snack for me somehow. Mm-hmm. And I was also drinking a can of Coke, and I thought, I like Coke, I like bread, why not put the Coke on the bread? Oh. And I poured Coke on my bread, and I tried to eat it, and I thought it was going to be a sensation. Yeah. And it was a soggy, disgusting thing that nobody oh. would want. It was disgusting.
0: I can't, Ooh yeah it was gross like
1: don't do it no do not it was like the first time i ever realized that just because two things taste good doesn't mean they won't taste good together i mean they that they will taste good together because they did not
0: yeah i mean it's look everybody has that move that they make where they think it's going to be great i always loved the things in movies where, you know, you'd show you all these hardcore guys making these crazy drinks in the morning, you know, for oh, breakfast. Oh yes. Yeah, you, know, you just put everything in there. And I thought, you know, I'm super cool. I can do this. I got a lot of shit in the kitchen. Let's just put it all together and see what I can get out <laughs> of it. And, you know, I really ended up with some like just consistently repulsive. Of course drinks. you did. That's gross. Yeah. I mean,
1: even the people who do it in the movie are like, Come on, guy. I mean, it's not right, and it also reminds me of a book I really liked, which was George's Marvelous Medicine Mm -hmm. by noted horrible person Roald Dahl, who I didn't know was a horrible person until well into life, but I loved this book when I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. and basically this kid is staying with this hideous human of a grandma, okay, and he's supposed to give her this medicine, and he loses it or drops it down the plug hole in the sink or whatever okay so he decides to make new medicine <laughs> for oh, her all right just by putting everything in the house basically into a giant pot okay cooking it up and giving it to her and, and how, how does that go well different things happen she doesn't like die instantly or anything Thank God. yeah i thought um, she would be
0: dead mm-hmm. yeah
1: well i mean in real life but it's kind yeah. of a fantasy for children
0: that's um, a, that would be a bad thing for me to read. Like, you know, like, I would think that, you know, be a good thing. The title sounds familiar, and somehow I, I managed to, I don't know, I didn't know that Roll Dahl was the worst. I I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah, till right now.
1: He's a terrible dude. We'll talk about it offline.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know that. But, I mean, you know, you give me something with imagination, I'm going to take it the extra step. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to the kid that watched the Olympic divers on television and thought if you filled up the bathtub, you know, why couldn't I dive in the bathtub? (laughs) You know, I uh, still have the scar on my head, um, you (laughs) know, and I I got some stitches. Uh, Yeah, it was was about Lionel. Oh, my gosh. That's
1: one of my favorites. Well, Lionel,
0: Lionel Richie, I mean, big fan, big fan. And Dancing on the Ceiling was a huge hit when I was a kid. And in the video Dancing on the Ceiling, Lionel Richie walks up the wall and gets on the ceiling and dances. And I wanted to be a part of it. So I was there with my friend Chris Olts <laughs> as a witness to this. Uh, the video came on television. And I said, watch Lionel. I can do it too. And tried walking up the wall. And, you know, I <laughs> fell spectacularly.
1: Every single kid wanted to dance on the ceiling, though, because of that video.
0: Well, Lionel Richie was super cool. I mean, yeah, he, he had a lot of great though. songs.
1: Yeah, that was He was, like, a a big one in the 80s. I really enjoyed him as well. Yeah. And that was just a great video because it was so exciting that they were actually dancing on the ceiling.
0: I also liked the hello video with the sculpture of Lionel. Oh, yes. It was a huge head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That looked, like, fun to, like, just make, like, a, a bust, you know? Like, I thought about that. Like, what if I, you know, just as a gift just made like a bust of you you know just gave you a gift of like
1: of my own head that's correct i don't know i think that would be weird but well, i think you would like it you should make one for yourself i mean it would be fun you, you know could just I'm... hang out with it while i'm at work
0: yeah yeah <laughs> we can hang out we can do like different holidays together dress it up dress it down this you just, know
1: this sounds like a good activity it's so. a good
0: project for me i just need to find the materials maybe post
1: covid you could go to like a sculpture class and learn oh,
0: that know. would be good yeah. Imagine if I could go to a sculpture class with the person that coached them to make the sculpture and Lionel Richie's Hello it's video. It's possible. Yes. I and
1: mean, they probably were out here.
0: Yeah. I mean, that now that would be All some right. cool stuff.
1: Well, there's one for the bucket list.
0: It is. That, that's one I need. That's one I need.
1: So, anyway, uh, back to the uh, what did we call this? The Rob Reiner rampage?
0: That's correct. We... <laughs> the Rob. <the>, the... <laughs> The Rob Reiner run. Oh, there we go. A.K.A. the Meathead Marathon. I just, I don't know, maybe we should go with Rampage now. It's a a serious
1: thing. I really can't see Rob Reiner, like, taking down everybody in a Rampage, but... No,
0: he did direct Misery, though. Yeah, that's true. He did direct Misery. But that's,
1: you know, smaller scale one-on-one not like a rampage
0: just like you're saying like a bunch of rob reiners charge the field like matrix style that'd be good yeah like uh they're the agent what agent what what is the agent called
1: anderson no mr a- anderson is neo right
0: is it I agent smith i mean so all right let's get back to the matter at hand this is spinal tap oh wait, <laughs> <and marathon. laughs> Let's get back to the matter at hand. Rampage. We're going hard tonight, guys. We're going super hard. We're going super strong. You know, it's for Rob Reiner, guys. For
1: this movie, I think the Rampage would maybe work better because it's like metal. Yeah. The Rob Reiner Rampage sounds way more metal.
0: It sounds like it sounds serious. Like there's going to be like a major fight that breaks out. Somebody's going to like punch through like a cinder block you know i'm in yeah yeah i would watch this somebody's got laser beam eyes how it turned into x-men i'm (laughs) into this i'm into this rob reiner has laser
1: beam eyes (sighs) there that's that's awesome
0: that would be super cool that'd be super cool so
1: this is spinal tap Mm Mm-hmm. is a great movie
0: fantastic
1: movie i love this thing i've seen it a ton of times yeah um basically if you haven't seen the movie you should go out and see it as we always say but if you haven't seen it, just to give you a little idea of what the movie is about. This is really like the first rockumentary That's also a mockumentary. Is this the film that coined
0: the term rockumentary? I believe that it is. Wow. Now that's some big stuff right there alone.
1: And it is also a mockumentary because it is not a real documentary. It's a fake documentary. Mm -hmm. Although a lot of people thought it was real, which is hilarious and amazing. I love that. Um, But yeah, basically it's like your first fake documentary about a, a rock band and it's so funny it's almost it's pretty much fully improvised
0: that's very cool
1: i mean they workshopped a lot of scenes and stuff so they're doing scenes that they had you know kind of written mm-hmm. but it's it came from improv which is stunning that it's this good yeah they <laughs> i mean
0: these people are pros i mean they yeah. they've got the best of the best again i mean and that's that's the thing that we keep seeing like we saw princess bride and I would say, best of the best, De- right?
1: Definitely.
0: I mean, you just can't stop it Perfectly
1: again. cast. And the same thing here, I agree with you. You cannot have this movie without the three guys. No. And you really can't have it without Rob Reiner. No,
0: Rob Reiner is actually my favorite part. Yeah. I, I like that he's the director... And he is the director. Yeah, I, I now that's great. It's
1: like he's directing it, and he's also pretending to be directing them the documentary, mm-hmm. which is crazy. It's yeah. like so many levels, and his name is Marty Debergi, which is a play on like all these other directors. Actually. Okay, I didn't even so catch that. like I Martin, it was cool, Marty Scorsese. Oh, Spielberg.
0: Oh. I just thought, do you know what I thought? I thought it was De like
1: Laurentis, I think.
0: Okay, I thought it was just like a tough guy name, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, it was like a guy that tried to like tough up his name. I'm Marty DeBergi. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no,
1: it's it's an homage to other directors, which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he 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 plays this guy who's a director, mm-hmm. and he's also a fan of this band, Spinal Tap. And he wants to do a documentary about their new album that they're releasing and they're going back out on the road. So basically, this is a band whose history is that they have been fairly popular. They've kind of faded from the spotlight. This album is meant to be their comeback. It's called Smell the Glove. (laughs) (laughs) And Marty Mm. Debergie, who's a big fan, is documenting, you know, their... Their move back to the top,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which actually is not what happens. They run into a lot of trouble. They aren't getting a lot of traction. They're not seen as like the hot new thing, so people really aren't that into them. They go through all the things that rock bands go through um, over the course of their rock band lifetime. Yeah. And uh, in the end, things kind of turn out. Maybe not exactly as good as they had planned, but well, and they're back on the upswing and things are going good for them again. Um, so it's it's a great movie, and the, I, I just laughed a lot when I read the trivia on this, because there are so many rock bands who thought this was real. <laughs> there were people who literally said, it was a really great movie, but you should have chosen a better known band. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's, that is a testament to just how great the film is. Yeah. What a success it is that people think that it's real.
1: Yeah, and I have to also say, the actors played their own instruments. So they actually were playing the music in this. So really, they are behaving as a rock band. They're yeah. singing, they're playing. So big ups to these guys. Harry Shearer, who plays Derek Smalls. Christopher Guest, who was our six-fingered man Mm -hmm. in Princess Bride, is Nigel Tufnell, the lead guitarist. Quite a good guitar player and piano player as well. Really (laughs) good. And then the ever-phenomenal Michael McKeon is David St. Hubbins, the lead guitarist vocalist vocalist, um, in the band. So these three guys are... Really, really good musicians, unbelievable improvisers. It's kind of unfair to be this talented.
0: (laughs) It's, I mean, you know, when you have people that are this talented, I think that there's just like this big group of people that have like this little smile plastered on, and on the inside of their head, they're like, I hate you. I hate you so much.
1: Well, I mean, and you probably do, because if you're like another improviser, and you know how hard that is to, sure. like, do good improv. Mm-hmm. And you just see these guys, like, killing it every two seconds with this amazing improv. Plus, they're playing music at the same time. Yeah, You know, I'm assuming that they wrote these songs, which are, many
0: of them are ridiculous, but they're also, like, kind of good. The songs are the showpiece for me. Because yeah. the songs are my favorite part of the movie
1: yeah and how could they not be
0: they're just too good the song big bottom
1: it's hilarious because it's just like one of these like 70s early 80s bands who would make like these kind of double entendre type songs
0: like fat bottom girls from queen
1: well what it also reminds me of is the big balls song by acdc okay okay so, it, yeah, it's except Big Balls kind of is a double entendre, whereas Big Bottom is not. There's no double. It's just straight up about a big butt. A Talk about bum butt. cakes.
0: My girl's got them. Oh, my
1: God. Well, and they're all playing bass on that song, actually. So it's got, like, the fat bass line.
0: So, like, a fat bottom So it's a fat bottom yeah. on the
1: song, which is pretty good.
0: It's I, Yeah, I mean that song i mean that entire song every single line every yeah. oh, single yeah. line each, each, velvety <laughs> her, each, weekday, each
1: velvety cheek day i love each velvety cheek and they sing it with like a straight face like i was just, just laughing and then at the end they're like pretending to spank Nigel <laughs> with their guitar heads oh man
2: Oh, uh, it's great. funny.
1: I mean, and then Tonight We're Gonna Rock It is kind of a great song. And, I mean, even when they're just, it's, you know, Nigel and David are supposed to be, like, best friends from childhood, and they've been playing music since they were little kids. And they're asked by Marty DeBergi, like, what's your, what was your first song? And they say, oh, you know, it's just this little thing we put together, and they start playing the song, kind of just tapping on the table. Yeah. And singing this All the Way Home, um, which sounds like any real, like, bluesy kind of rock song. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a good song. Like, I actually have sung this before, oh, wow. like, in the car. I'm just like, all the way home, all the way home.
0: It's crazy. I sang Big Bottom
1: many times. Of course. <laughs> why wouldn't I can't stop with that one. <laughs> it's too I good. I can't stop with that one. It's too good. The lyrics are too funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 just pretty surprising how good this movie is, how good the music is. Um, even th- there is so- another song in here that it sounds like other songs, like I'll be listening to the radio and I'll think, oh, that sounds like a Spinal Tap song <laughs> because they really are like no pun intended tapping into what music is. Yeah, like what what rock
0: music sounds like. Um, and it's just really well done. Well and then when I was in high school, well we were in high school, the uh they had another they had an album that came yeah. out.
1: That's actually when I watched this movie, I think. Because I was like super into like metal or rock music I, It really is not real metal. Like yeah. I wasn't into like real super metal y stuff. Okay. Um, but I was into like more what at this time I would call hard rock, like Guns N' Roses at the time was kind of considered metal, yeah, but I would consider them more just like hard rock.
0: I yeah, I think I would call Guns N' Roses hard rock. I for me, the way I got exposed to new music is a bunch of me and, and my nerdy friends would like hang out together, <laughs> and what we would do is we would always get new music, and then we would just drive around in the car and oh, just listen fun. to the new material,
1: <laughs> which was
0: awesome. That's and, really
1: fun. Oh, it was
0: great. I mean, and sometimes, like, we would stay over at each other's house. and Like, you know, we would sneak out, and we would just do, like, the most tame stuff. Like, we'd go listen to music and, like, go to Dunkin' Donuts. you <laughs> know what I mean? But would like, go get some, like, donuts and coffee. <laughs> and
1: listen to music. <laughs> listen to just music. So listen to, like, hardcore metal. Uh,
0: yeah, well, we played, I mean, pretty much everything. That's... You know, with uh, with my friends, I heard uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic for the first time. I heard Nevermind for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, I heard Ministry, Psalm 69 for the first time. That was, like, super hard. Yeah. And, like, some of that yeah, so I, I, I still remember. Listen. I
1: didn't really listen to that much, but I was into, like, more of, like, yeah, Guns N' Roses was, like, my number one. Uh, favorite at the time, and I yeah. still like them. They're, just, they're kind
0: of timeless. They, they never get old. I mean, I would always rediscover them every time I heard them again. Like I, I never bought the tape, because I would always hear it on the radio so much. And then back in the days of cassettes, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I dubbed this cassette of Appetite, and I realized, oh my god, I listen to Appetite for Destruction all the time. <laughs> every time it came on the radio, I turned it up. I was like, Oh wow!
1: Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, these are the but guys. Yeah, that's who I was into. Cinderella was another big one for me, which was kind of considered like hair metal, but yeah, r- no, I mean they're almost like just a blues band <laughs> with like some kind of hard rock influence as well. I just think people don't realize that because the lead singer has like this. Creamy kind of voice.
0: Well, I had no idea what they were or what they did. I have no idea what Cinderella was until I met you. And then I was like, I love this band. Yeah. But it was just like the labels that got put on things. When things were termed as metal, it was like, "Uh uh-oh, bad news. Yeah. Well,
1: no, for real. Like, yeah, I mean, I lived in Mississippi, so, you know, I wasn't that far away from, like, Arkansas, West Memphis, where, like, the kids got, you know, jailed for murder. Well, I went ninety percent of the reason why because they liked hard rock or like metal or dark music that people thought was satanic. So everybody thought you know what I listened to for music was satanic. Mm. Oh man, which is ridiculous because I'm about as far as from satanic as one can possibly be. Yeah, but I had a fully you know my wardrobe was fully made up of like black shirts, black pants, black boots. I wore, like, you know, black eyeliner. My hair was dyed, like, super white blonde. I looked, you know, somewhat corpsey, <laughs> And because of that, you know, everybody just assumed that I was worshipping the devil somewhere, which is ludicrous.
0: But anyway. Well, the best part for me was, you know, I mean, I went to Catholic school, okay? So, like, you know, we heard all these things that were, you know, no, no, no. And we were like, okay, all right, we'll stay away from it. And then you would just, again, have these moments of absolute, just foolish rebellion. Like, we were at, like, a, a remainder bookstore, and they had the Satanic Bible for a dollar in <laughs> paperback. And it was like, we got this thing, and there was, like, nothing really to it. It was just, like, <laughs> a bunch of baloney. And we, we were just like, what did we do this for? And then we all kind of freaked out, and we <laughs> took... We took like this metal bucket and we put it in the backyard and we threw our copies in there. And we just set them on fire. <laughs> you know, we're like, we're not doing this. He's not oh my getting gosh. us, man. That's... Well, and I also was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons by the most devout religious person that I knew. And I loved it. And because my parents knew the guy was really religious and he's the one that, that turned me on to it. He was a few years older. It was like it was totally cool. So I was safe. But I loved Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah,
1: I was like fully not allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons. What a drag. When I was growing up and I would have loved it, but because I love like telling stories sure. and all this kind of stuff, I would have adored that. Yeah. But I don't even think you could play it in my state. Like there was so much uproar about it. Oh yeah. Um when I was growing up and people really freaked out. So, my mom never would have let me play it. And yeah, I mean, I had trouble um, If it wasn't for the fact that my parents got divorced and I kind of ended up more being able to be on my own and do what I wanted, mm-hmm. I might not have been able to get into any of the music that I ended up liking with like the hard rock kind of stuff because my mom freaked out <laughs> one time when I was probably like nine or 10, I was watching MTV yeah, and some Ozzy Osbourne video was on. And he is, like, standing there, like, singing in front of, like, this cross that's, like, rotating upside down. Yeah. And my mom, like, had an absolute shit fit. Freaked out. You're never watching MTV again. Like, she just lost it on me. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV again, which I was fine, like, two years later because she was working. And I could do whatever I wanted to because I was at home by myself. And I was like, look, if, you know, I have to watch my sisters and, like, cook dinner for us and, like, be a parent, then, you know, if I want to watch a heavy metal video, it's happening.
0: (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Good for you. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, that's the thing It's funny, you know, when you're younger, it's like there was so much time that you would spend uh, by yourself. You were your own boss. That it was just like, yeah, it felt like that sometimes. Like you were like the custodian of the house. And I didn't have siblings growing up, but I'm sure I would have like felt the same way. It's like, I'm playing dad right now. I'm going to do some dad stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm going to get a big cup of coffee. (laughs) Even though I didn't like coffee until like, late into college by
1: I the did way. like a big coffee summer one <laughs> summer when I was like 15
0: just to be powerful right just to be part of the group
1: well I think it was probably more of a kids in the hall influence thing ah because I really thought Dave Foley was the coolest person in the universe and he drank a ton of coffee yeah yeah so I was like I want to be like Dave Foley I'm gonna drink a lot of coffee okay um so and probably I was also tired because I never slept and mm. I was really was like raising my sisters at the time but uh yeah i just drank a ton of coffee and i would just listen to my music all the time and i kind of don't think people have this experience growing up anymore i feel like your lives are not as much your own anymore yeah i mean we don't have kids so i'm not seeing it firsthand no but when we were growing up we did have just a ton of time to kind of be doing whatever we wanted to do and i think now kids have a lot more restrictions or they're just like kind of using their time to watch you know tiktok or something
0: well i mean i watched a lot of tv man i i I'm spent not, a lot I'm not of time
1: low rating people for doing that cuz i mean that's what you do like when we were growing up i watched mtv or vh1
0: yeah i mean i watched a lot of movies and i played a lot of video games I mean, I was like the, the king of the underworld, you know? I was like Hades, you know what I mean? Hades. I was Hades. You know, Hades, Hades, hmm. Hephaestus's friends, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I was in the basement, and I, I just, that was my domain, and that, that's where I did stuff. You know, it was great. I had up all my uh, Nintendo Power maps on the walls. <laughs> You know, so I knew where I was going. And again, uh, for the the younger folks out here, again, I am ancient. Please don't forget. And when we played Nintendo, you would pay money to get Nintendo Power. And that was a magazine that came every month and would have all kinds of different strategies, cheats, and fold-out maps. So I would take those maps and I would just put them up. Like they had one for Legend of Zelda that I had up and I thought was cool and it would help me through. You know, and like that was, it was just my spot, you know, anything, any kind of posters that I had, I would hang up down there. Well, I know
1: you had a lot of, yeah, and you have a lot of memories, you told me before, of just hanging out with your video games and listening to tapes that you made, like mixtapes, and and just listening to albums over and over. Oh, yeah,
0: it was, well, my dad had his stereo down there. And it was a huge stereo. It was one of those turntables where you could stack up like two or three records. Oh, that's so awesome. it would play like the first side of one that would drop the next and the next. And that thing was loud enough in the basement that you could hear it all the way upstairs, like on the other side of the house. So, Christmas time, we would, you know, hear it all the time. And then, you know, for fun, you know, would do it sometimes. And he also had these really great pair of headphones. And there was a couch next to the stereo, so you could just plug into the stereo and just kind of like lay back and listen to the tunes. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's
1: a heck of a cool
0: setup. It was great. And the, the walls were like this... Uh, in the basement, because so it was just like a cement basement, and they, they put like a carpet down, suspended ceiling, and it was this really thin wood that, that was up just as the dividers. Yeah, like between the, the back. paneling or whatever. Yeah, and it was like you could just put push pins into stuff.
1: That's cool. And it was
0: dark wood, so nobody could ever tell if there were little holes in it neat so like you could do anything down there
1: that's cool you had like a little bonus room for yourself
0: and my piano was down there too yeah i was i was very lucky
1: yeah i mean i did have some great things at my disposal when i was in high school um when i started getting into music my stepdad joel was really psyched because he was a music guy too and he played music he played bass and guitar nice And so when I started getting super interested in music, he was like, oh, do you want to learn to play something? And I was like, you're And so I started playing bass. I never got better than I was on day one, but I did try playing it. Look, That's
0: okay. I, I had a moment with my piano teacher where I didn't want to practice anymore. I literally went in. He's like, how much did you practice this week? And I'm like, maybe 15 minutes for the whole week. And he thought he had me like dead to write, so he made me like write it down, <laughs> and then I had to like sign it, and then he signed it, and I had to give it to my parents, and it was just like he was showing me. Yeah. And, and then that was pretty much the end of of the piano, but I did it for like, oh, geez, I think like maybe four, maybe six years. Yeah. Long time. So uh, tell me your story. I
1: tried playing bass for like eight years, oh but my God. then I just kind of was like, you know, my problem because. I have a sense of rhythm, but I couldn't really sing and play bass at the same time. Really? And for me, no, I couldn't. And there are people who do it. Hello, I'm wearing a Thin Lizzy t-shirt right now. Yes. And Phil Lynott is, like, awesome at singing and playing bass at the same time. He's
2: are coolest. That's
1: what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. This guy doing this, but I couldn't do it, so it just wasn't working for me. And then, so my first year of college, I guess... Um, the band The Wallflowers came out, slightly different from the whole heavy metal thing that we've been discussing. <laughs> but hey Um, and I really got into the Wallflowers and I was like, Oh, I'd really like to play these songs. Yeah. So I started playing just like six string acoustic guitar and I picked that up very quickly. Oh yeah. And I could sing and play that at the same time, like and in college, um, like a couple years after I'd started playing, uh, I was in the English department. And they had, like, a poetry night that they would do, like, open mic poetry. And when I put down, like, on my little intro form for one of my classes that I sang and play guitar, my teacher, Dr. Spencer, was like, Georgia, let me see you after class. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And he was just like, I see that you sing and play guitar. Have you heard of our poetry night? You should come and sing and play guitar at it. Um, So I did. And then I ended up becoming the host of it. Um, that's like my girl later that year. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do anything without somebody putting me in charge. Um, uh, that kind of happens to me, but, uh, yeah, I basically just started doing that and singing and playing. Cause that was something that was easy to do. If you have a bass, you can't really just be the only person just thumping the bass and singing. <laughs> you kind of need a band with you. And in high school, I tried starting bands, um, And, you know, it would have been fun to do that, but I just didn't have enough people interested. Sure. Um, My best friend, Ellen, really wanted to play drums, but, like, her family couldn't afford to buy drums. So, you know, I was kind of holding on to that feeling that maybe it would happen, but it just didn't. (laughs) So, but I I did all this research, like, about moving to L.A. and, like, I had, like, the phone number... For, like, the Roxy in a book. All right. All right. So when we get there, we're going to call the Roxy and try to get a slot there. Like, I had all of these ideas that are ludicrous in retrospect. They're fantastic ideas. That's the way you
0: get things going. (laughs) Big dreams.
1: Well, I definitely had big dreams. And you got talent. But nobody to come with me. You know, I, I couldn't just be a band by myself. So, unfortunately, that never happened but I did like become you know somebody who was singing and playing guitar in a bar mm-hmm. that's something and it was in the 90s so by that time late 90s that was kind of more of the music scene because uh when alternative stuff came in it kind of ended the hair metal era yeah yeah which spinal tap is more kind of a progenitor of they were kind of like the quiet riot. ACDC,
0: those kind of bands. They gave me like a kind of a Led Zeppelin feel.
1: Yeah, I had a little bit of that. I mean,. They, well, the funny thing is that they go back into their history, right? right. and that's
0: like the Rolling Stones when you go back and you see yes. those more clean-cut gigs. If yeah,
1: because you know. at the beginning they were singing like "Listen to the Flower People" yeah. and like they were like all super hippies with like sitar music and stuff.
0: And they're all smiling really big and yeah. they're happy to be there. Well, yeah. yeah,
1: they had like their Beatles moment with mm-hmm. the matching suits. Um, so, yeah, you know, they have this history of being, like, all these other music, playing all these other types of music, but now they're, like, this metal band, and I think they're also supposed to be kind of, like, Black Sabbath.
0: Yes, I could see that.
1: Um, and that was funny, because I think, like, I read that Ozzy Osbourne was kind of stressed out when he was watching this movie, just because it was too real. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um... Yeah, because there's just a lot of funny things that happen that are funny if you're watching it, but if it was something you were actually going through yourself, you would just be like, oh gosh.
0: Well, if you're sitting there and you're like, this is my life. (laughs) How did they know my life?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think that like they did such a brilliant job in this, kind of taking all of these kind of stories about rock bands and kind of dramatizing them. I, I mean, just things that pop out for me is the Nigel with, like, the food plate backstage mm-hmm. where he's just angry because the bread is too small and he can't make a sandwich with it. Oh, yeah. And he's really mad because some of the olives have a little guy, like a pimento, <laughs> and some of them have no guy. That's, I mean... And Marty Debergi, which is Rob Reiner, is trying to explain to him that you can fold the meat and make it the right size for the bread. And Nigel just keeps folding the bread. You can't fold it because it breaks. (laughs) And he's just, he can't, he's he's like just sick about it. And it's just like all these stories that you hear about these bands with these ridiculous riders and their
0: contracts. Well, that's a big thing. Like, I, I remember a million years ago when I used to do improv, there was, if I'm unless I'm making this up, but I'm pretty sure there was something in the contract that was very specific so that you could tell if the contract had been read or not.
1: Yeah, that was, I think, the Van Halen thing. Yeah, okay,
0: yes. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Van Halen. Red M and M's, right? Something no,
1: like that. Yeah. It was like
0: no red or M&Ms. no
1: brown M and M's, or no something like that. It was something like that. Very and specific. It sounded ludicrous, but then the supposed explanation was: if you if they didn't get that right, then that was kind of a visual yes cue that they probably didn't read your contract at all.
0: Yeah, that was it. So I mean. Van Halen, I mean, that's... Uh... Well, who knows if that was them or if that was their manager or whatever, but... Did they have that in Spinal Tap as well? Because I almost thought that the bread thing was in their contract. Or, again, did, is that another creation of There John? was
1: something in that scene that was, like, in the contract, and that that's what he was kind of furious about.
0: Yeah, okay. But it was
1: very funny.
0: It was great. Because it's, it's just, it's so stupid. It's so small, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But again, if people think, hey, you didn't know that, then you don't know anything that, that we asked for.
1: Yeah. Well, and then what else scenes are in this? Like, the when they're trying to do the album release party mm. and their A&R person is there, which is Fran Drescher playing Bobby Fleckman. Yeah. And she's brilliant mm-hmm. because she's, like, nice and friendly, but she's also, like, completely no BS. Yeah. And, you know, she's explaining to them, like, you're not going to be able to have this album released because they want to have this horrible photo of a naked woman on all fours with yeah. a leash Jeez, and like indeed. a man's hand in her face. And the album is called Smell the Glove.
0: It's really awful.
1: And they're sitting there trying to explain to these guys that that's inappropriate and it's degrading. And they're just like, well, I don't think so. I mean, that, that's
0: great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, they just, they don't understand what the big hubbub is. No,
0: they don't get it at all.
1: And then the their Ian, which is their manager, ends up kind of backdoor agreeing just to have this album be completely black with nothing on it, but he doesn't tell them. So then when the album arrives and they open it and see that it's just completely black... It's not good. It doesn't go over.
0: No, it's not well received at all. They thought it would be, well, because in that scene the white album comes up. Yes. And and you're like people are like the white album, that wasn't anything. That was just a white album cover and that was great. Yeah. And then, you know, as we all know, it was supposed to be a naked picture of John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Yeah. And then they went another way.
1: So it's really just exactly that. I mean, and there's been other bands that had trouble with album covers after that, you know, after Spinal Tap.
0: Poison, Open Up and Say Ah, The Big Tongue.
1: Yeah, well, also, um, Appetite for Destruction was supposed to have this painting on it, which is on the inside sleeve. Yep.
0: And they were like, no, you can't do this. Well, when we go back to the actual scene in Spinal Tap, the first thing that Ian says to bobby fleckman and he thinks he's really great as he's you know because it's a glove that's in her face and he goes well i gotta tell you at first it wasn't a glove they were shoving in her face
1: <laughs> which is undoubtedly true oh, i mean yeah. like these people just i don't know they come up with all these ideas it's and yeah it's
0: just stuff that i, I don't just
1: being hardcore about yeah. it oh my gosh that scene is really funny i do like it when they get the album that's completely black and like You know, Ian's, like, trying to sell it. Like, that's a great idea. And then Derek starts, like, looking at it. It's like, it kind of looks like leather. You know? He's, (laughs) like, kind of trying to go with it. But, of course, David is there with his girlfriend. And she's, like, you know, really negative about it. And David's like, it looks like death. It's so negative. It's very funny. And it's just a struggle you can even see parallels with with other band stories in real life
0: well doesn't nigel say something like it's just so black it's so black <laughs> yeah
1: so. he's always like very low-key about things but that i think is why i like the food scene because he was so disgusted and he never really gets that worked up. although he is excited about the turning it to 11 and
0: turning we got to talk about turning it to 11
1: yeah it's one more it's <laughs> He's, like, trying to explain to Marty that their amps go up to 11, and Marty is like, well, I mean, you know, why don't you just, you know, go up one more and make 10 the highest? He's like, because these go to 11. Like, how better, how much better is it? It's one, it's one better. (laughs) You know, that's one of my favorite jokes. That's the kids in the hall joke again later. They, you know, where they're selling an organ and they had an organ called the Gimmel 80, and now they have the Gimmel 100. It's like, how much better is the Gimmel 100? It's 20 better. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the same. Why would we turn it up to 10? These go to 11. It's one better.
0: Well, we also have on IMDb, this is the only movie, this is Spinal Tap, is the only movie that instead of being rated on a scale, from 1 to 10, is rated on a scale from 1 to 11.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I didn't even know that. Oh, you didn't see? Yeah, if you take a look, it's
0: 11. Yeah, you'll see.
1: That's amazing. I'm going to have to go rated 11. You got to. It's definitely an 11 for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, this movie brought all the things that that we see in all of these, like, I I guess, I mean, calling them rockumentaries prior to this, I don't know if that's fair because these guys coined the term, but, you know, we saw um gimme shelter very serious Mm -hmm. you know documentary then we saw woodstock which was much more in my opinion of like a performance Mm -hmm. than than like a documentary but you did get things with the crowd then you had monterey pop where you know you got a little information uh in that that was different especially like in, in like some of the later releases um, yeah,
1: there's some really cool concert footage in that in that one in particular for but, me.
0: Yeah, and it's like somebody like was able to to see all this, and I'm sure there's a bunch that I'm missing as I go through it. But it's like we've watched so many concerts. Like I'll, I'll go on YouTube and I'll look up old concerts. I'll look up Thin Lizzy because Thin Lizzy, I'd say my favorite band of all time. I'll look up you know Jimi Hendrix. I'll look up these things that you just can't get anymore. You know, I look up, like, the old John Coltrane stuff, because that's amazing just to see these guys, you know, th- these these greats, you know, and I'm all over the map. I'll look at punk, I'll look at jazz, I'll look at rock, I'll look at classical, I'll look at country, I'll look at bluegrass, I'll look at hip-hop. Yeah, you, you know? pretty
1: much like any, I'm kind of like that as well, I pretty much will
0: give Blues. anything
1: a shot, even if I don't love it after I've heard it, I at least try. Yeah. And, you know, I have a pretty eclectic taste, but not even, not as much as you. Like, it's everywhere. Your two favorite genres are, like, jazz and punk. <laughs> which, I mean, honestly, they couldn't really be that much more different. I mean, jazz is so structured, and punk is, like, so unstructured.
0: It's, I don't know what it is. I mean, those are the ones that... That really, that really speak to me. I, I like order, and then I like no order.
1: You like complete chaos. Correct. But nothing in between. You're a man of extremes.
0: Well, jazz has things, too, that are just completely wild. No, exploratory. I'm,
1: just, I'm joking. It's what I do.
0: Well, no, I, I'm saying you actually have a point, because <laughs> jazz is so mathematical. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. you have to have you know, a really good mouth base to be able to do these things. And like some of the songs that may not be, given you know, to everybody sonically pleasing, it is all like there's a structure, you know, that they have.
1: Well, and some of the rock that you like now is called, like newer stuff, is called math rock. Yeah. It's really weird.
0: I If it was stick math rock, then, <laughs> you know, I get it. I
1: mean, that's the funny thing is you're such not a math guy. Yeah. You'd have to take stick math, and yet you love math in the form of music.
0: Well, with music, I, I do have a, a real history of that, because I had piano lessons for many years. I played guitar in our youth choir. I played saxophone for a while. I took a bunch of theory courses when I was a kid. I used to go, and I would take, like, piano, and then I would have theory classes immediately following and then I sang, and then I fooled around with harmonica later, so I've had a lot of exposure to music, which is math, yeah. you know, so it, it's funny that I'm like, oh, I hate math, but there's just, there's so much...
1: Well, math is everywhere, yeah. so it's like, I have the same thing, like, I thought I hated math, but there's, like, geometry is math, and... I enjoy geometric things, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, I like the fruit of geometry, and I like the way that things are structured, and and you can't do most anything without math once you dig down, because numbers are kind of fundamental and unchanging. Yeah. So they're like a constant thing. That's off track, but it's cool.
0: Well, it's neat to talk about music. I'm well, always I mean, there to do that.
1: and then you hear like Christopher Guest playing like this beautiful like piano piece, yeah, which is almost like classical in nature during this.
0: Well, that's that's on point too, because a lot of these really heavy rock guys would have these lighter songs.
1: Yeah. Well, and also some of them are like classically trained musicians. I remember later on watching like the Behind the Music, which I, I mean, that's another question. Could Behind the Music exist without Spinal Tap? This is Spinal Tap because it's kind of like this is a rockumentary and VH1 like made a whole series of rockumentaries. Yeah. And I remember on the one for Poison, I believe it was the Behind the Music of Poison, C.C. Mm-hmm. C. DeVille, which is the lead guitarist of Poison um is talking about how he was classically trained like in New York at playing guitar like at a, a classical school and then he just became like a, a hair metal like if the, any band is hair metal poison is hair metal oh yeah i definitely um, go with that yeah and he ended up playing guitar in that band and he's quite a good guitar player but he's like a classically trained guitar player and that was the really funny thing in that scene where Nigel is playing this amazing piece, and Marty DeBergi's like, "This, this is beautiful. What, what's that called? Lick my love, palm."
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good.
1: Oh, that's like one of my laugh out loud moments of this movie.
0: It's perfect.
1: Oh, it's it's, so funny.
0: It makes me think about Ozzy Osbourne. And there was like uh, the Blizzard of Oz album. Okay. And Randy Rhodes was the guitarist, right? Who, who tragically died when he was young. And he had this song, D, that was just like some really nice acoustic guitar, you know, a classical sounding piece. And it was just really nice and really clean. And again, I, I got the okay with Ozzy Osbourne because my really religious friend... Liked Ozzy Osbourne, and he was okay. Like guys, that's what you I know, needed. I you needed need a religious, like really religious friend, just to make it make it safe for you. Well,
1: I mean, now our rector of our church is a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan, You're right? See, that's so it. now I have a friend, a really really religious friend who loves D and D. So now I guess it's okay for me to play it.
0: Uh, oh gosh it's me, funny it's, but yeah
1: that that was you were lucky with that because i didn't have that and i had a lot of fights
0: yeah i can see how you would i mean this is uh
1: i did play appetite easy. for destruction in the car with my mom oh, and she stepdad and my little sisters who were like probably oh, 10 in yeah. the back seat and yeah there were some stunning moments Uh, of that and it was great because my stepdad did not care at all oh that's funny he was just really excited that i was getting into music Mm. so he didn't care if it said some of the most horrible things ever put on tape he was just psyched like oh good it's really great that you like this and my mom is just having a stroke in the car because she's hearing the horrible things in the songs. it was great it's So Easy was, like, one of my favorite songs. It's too. So Easy such a good song. It is a good song. It's got, like, a great bass line, and I was learning to play bass, so I was super into bass on Guns N' Roses. Duff McKagan, that's, like, who I wanted to marry when I was a teenager. Um, Like, Inigo Montoya, then Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I just loved the bass, in like, Rocket Queen has, like, a fat bass line at the beginning. It's awesome. Yeah. Which we later hear is like kind of ripped off of Thin Lizzy. Right. Because, <laughs> boy, Guns N' Roses love Thin Lizzy and you can hear it so much. It's really kind of great. um, But also not great because Thin Lizzy never gets their due.
0: I know. They're just such a great band. So many albums. Go listen to Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Like, just do yourself a favor. Just, just...
1: do it or we're just going to become a Thin Lizzy podcast.
0: Ooh. I could talk about that. Yeah, no I you could. I could definitely talk about that. But yeah, Thin Lizzy. I mean, just all of it's so good. It is all so good. All of it's good. so good. You know, like Black Rose. Oh, man, we what a spent, great album.
1: We spent hours over our Christmas to New Year's break working on a playlist of every Thin Lizzy song ranked. Yeah. And it was like a great time.
0: We really loved it.
1: I mean, there's some real hard stuff in the beginning of their career, but once they got going, like, they were, like, unstoppable.
0: Yeah, I'd say, like, the first two albums, it's like, okay, there's a couple things there. The third album, you know, really, it starts to break out, but then it just, it takes off from there. And they have a really long catalog. They so, do. I mean, you've got, you've got live albums, you've got studio albums, and they always are coming out with alternate takes or another concert and on youtube they have so much but if you're thinking about thin lizzie this will be my plug to you i would start with thin lizzie jailbreak that would be the one i would say to start with and uh that's a rocking record yeah and uh, i will you say
1: think. you've probably heard the boys are back in town because oh, that's yeah. like the one song that everybody always plays mm-hmm. if you don't want to listen to a whole album and you only have like three and a half minutes. Go listen to the song Don't Believe a Word because it is the best song. It's yep. one of the best songs ever. It's one of my favorite songs, period. It's
0: a great too. Which
1: as much as we both love music, like saying that something is in our, like, our top favorite songs is almost impossible. It's hard. But that song is just perfect beginning to end and yeah, you, you will love it.
0: And my plug for Thin Lizzy, if you can only listen to one song, is the song "Cowboy Song," which is on Jailbreak.
1: Also phenomenal. Yep.
0: Don't believe a word is on the album Johnny the Fox. Yes, and Both there's other amazing. there's
1: good stuff on other good stuff on Johnny oh, the Fox yeah. too. I mean,
0: good stuff on Jailbreak. Good stuff on Black Rose. Bad Reputation.
1: Black Rose, oh, top to bottom, is like a nearly perfect album. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good stuff. So, yes, we did just become a Thin Lizzy podcast. We did. All
0: right. Back, back, <laughs> back to Spinal Stuff.
1: But I, no regrets. No, I mean, not a regret on planet Earth. I'm never going to have a Thin Lizzy no discussion regret. No. If I'm talking about Thin Lizzy, it's a good day.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's talk for a second about.
1: And we watched the Thin Lizzy behind the music. <laughs> yes, we did. As well. We did. So, it kind of does a loop back around to what I was talking about was behind the music. Yeah. I mean, I love. Behind the music, so much. Um, And I used to watch all of those when I was in college, like 98, 99. I feel like it's when I really got cranking. Yeah. And then even if I thought the band was terrible, I would watch Behind <laughs> yeah. the Music
0: on them. Sure. Even with somebody that you were like, what? Yeah, always. Yeah, I, every, it was always fun.
1: Everyone I would watch. And, and I was
0: hooked every time. By the end, I'm like, I got to check these people out.
1: Yeah. And then also pop-up video is around that same time. And pop-up video is like the goods.
0: Yeah. It's the good stuff. Yeah. All right. So I'm really bringing it back to Spinal Tap okay. at this point.
1: If, if we have We to, have no, to. Okay.
0: Spinal Tap. We're back. <laughs> okay. So... I would say my favorite quick one in the movie would be Howard Hessman who plays Terry Ladd and he's a promoter for this other hot band. And uh, you this know this guy
1: Duke Fame is yeah. his name.
0: Is and it, he's a is he a solo actor? He's the front man.
1: I don't know. I they didn't really make it clear because they're kind of just like trying to get out of there right, in right, the hallway.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's very good. So You know, this promoter runs into, you know, Spinal Tap and runs into Spinal Tap's promoter, doesn't remember the name of Spinal Tap's promoter, really doesn't want to be there. You know, the the front man, this Duke guy is just really not feeling it at all. (laughs) You know, they're like, hey, it's great to see you guys. Where are you playing? And Howard Hesman's like i don't know the enormo dome it's uh
1: <laughs> it's a great place it's
0: great place yeah you're know, really uh, happy about it and then there <laughs> then it just keeps going and you know then you know the the promoter comes over from spinal tap and it's like oh terry good to see you and he's like uh he doesn't remember his name calls he's, him he's the like wrong.
1: liam liam. liam yeah
0: liam he's going, no ian <laughs> oh okay All right, uh, yeah, uh, we we, (laughs) would love to stand around and chat, but uh, we got to go to the lobby and wait for the limo. (laughs)
1: Yeah, like it's (laughs) really a pressing
0: engagement that they have to have. Absolutely, like it's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful blow off, and as soon as they walk away, Spinal Tap is just like, I hate those guys, they're (laughs) terrible.
1: It's so great.
0: Yeah, it's like artists just running into each other. And hating each other. But trying
1: to pretend like you're really psyched to see each other.
0: Like, good job. It's so great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. It sure does. It's great. It's funny. It is. I mean, who's your favorite character in this?
1: Oh, me. That's a hard question, but I got to go with Nigel Tufnel. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Christopher Guest is, like, so good in this like i can't even believe it because again like i loved princess bride and i had seen it already a bunch of times and i knew this was like the six-fingered man yeah and then i turn around and it's this guy nigel tufnell and he just really kind of disappears into it his accent is really strong so i never don't believe that he's like english yeah he plays music amazingly well
0: yeah And he does that weird solo with the violin.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of based off of like the musicians who would like use a different things like a bow, like of a violin, but he just uses the
0: violin. Yeah, he just uses the violin against the guitar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
1: he does. He just picks up the violin and plays it against it. And it sounds horrendous. Oh, yeah. But it's it's really funny. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I got to go with him. I mean, everybody in it is great, but he's just so in character. To me, he's the one who makes you think that this is a real thing. Like, he's the one who kind of takes all of the mockumentariness out of it. And of course, like he went on to do other mockumentaries himself. Yeah. And he's, they're some of my favorite movies as well. I mean, I know we're going to talk about these movies, Waiting for Guffman. Oh yeah. um, The Best in Show. Yes. Um, These, For Your Consideration is Mm -hmm. not a mockumentary, but it's kind of that style. And he did that too. So, but I, I just, they're so good. They're so good. And he's always like so in character yeah, he in disappears. these movies that you just kind of don't even think about it. And and I just think that that kind of talent is pretty impressive to
0: me. It, yeah, he is so impressive. And I have to agree with you. Just in terms of, of sheer talent, I'm mesmerized watching him. I can't believe that this is the same guy from Best in Show that had the Bloodhound. I can't believe that. And that's the same guy that was in The Princess Bride? Yeah. How is this? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. My favorite character, though, I would have to say, I'd have to say Marty DeBerge, Rob Reiner. You know, because Rob Reiner, you know, he is the director. And, you know, I've directed things in the past. (laughs) And, like, you know, it's like... You just you, you bring yourself out there to talk about what you've done, and you just become like self-conscious in this really bizarre way because you have the confidence of being a director, yet you're still self-conscious. <laughs> and you know Marty De you know introduces the the rockumentary. And he's just walking around the set and he's completely in control. And then he just goes and he folds his arms and he instantly hates it. And then he just like breaks and just puts them back down. It's completely awkward, but it made me just like fall in love with it because it's so vulnerable and it's so honest.
1: Well, it's so real too that you're a director and you're not used to being in front of the camera. Yes. So you're uncomfortable like in front of the camera. Yes. But he's a great character because he's also kind of the heart of things because he's the fan too.
0: And he's so caring in all the interviews. Yeah. He always is very honest. He's got he's got a real base for all of them to jump off of.
1: Yeah. Well, and he really supports the band and he really wants to see them happy and doing well and when they end up kind of having Nigel kind of just walk off because he can't deal with it anymore about you know three quarters of the way through he's kind of just like don't you want to get back together like this is your friend you know and he really wants them to succeed oh yeah and that's a really nice thing i love that about that
0: character i do too i i think that I think he is the greatest. And then we read some trivia that he was actually going to be one of the band members at one point.
1: Yeah. And I just I'm glad that it didn't work out in a way because I feel like this way of him being Marty DeBergie is perfect.
0: Agreed. No one could have done what no, he did. No way. No one could have done it. And again, when you talk about, you know, his name being like an homage to all these these huge directors, you know, at the time. That even makes it better to me because, you know, you think about, you know, these big time people coming out and just being a little awkward. It's just a little, that's what's so good about it. It's just a little, but you see it and and it's perfect.
1: Yeah. He, I I mean, I'm sure he would have been hilarious and wonderful as a band member too. Oh yeah. But I just feel like this other thing, like I just don't think anybody else would have been able to do it as well as him.
0: No. And I think that him being the director makes so much sense because you know he came from carl reiner yeah and then he has like all these years of writing experience and
1: comedy chops for miles and he knows what's funny Mm -hmm. and like he's always there to keep everything kind of grounded which is also funny yeah i mean that's part of the funniness that you can't really have like these big things without having like that base that no. keeps everything super real mm-hmm. and he's just as a champ at that
0: he's perfect and and i mean he's hot off of all in the family i think all in the family is done at that point too where he was you know a big actor in that
1: yeah i mean wow i mean that's, that's rob the Reiner. dude is bomb this is why we're doing a rampage
0: yeah we're rampaging with rob <laughs> ryan
1: run a rampage (laughs) um i mean there's so many things we haven't even talked about yet i know and i'm like like, oh my gosh i'm like oh my gosh i can't believe we talked so much about this movie but it's so great it's like a great movie stonehenge Stonehenge. and there's two things i really want to talk about before we wrap up one of them is stonehenge which maybe is the funniest thing um just laugh out loud funny
2: yeah
1: in this movie they decide that like this big push that they're going to have to make the stage show just over-the-top awesome is that they're going to have a model of Stonehenge. <laughs> and they draw it on a napkin, and they give it to a fabricator, which is played by Angelica Houston. And, you know, they want her to make this Stonehenge for them. So she brings in the Stonehenge, and Ian keeps thinking it's a replica because it's about a foot and a half tall um but it's because they accidentally put 18 inches on the napkin instead of 18 feet and she's (laughs) like this is the piece you know I don't know why I keep saying replica this is the piece and at this point they're kind of in a situation where they're in financial trouble they can't afford to like go back and fix this so without really telling the band uh, Ian just continues on with this 18-inch Stonehenge. So they're doing like this really, you know, meaty song where it's like, you know, so profound and all this. And I love that because that's something really funny about some of these types of bands at that time. Sure. Is that they think that they're like really like heavily like laying down this info on you. The
0: Majestic Troubadour.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of that one Thin Lizzy song where he's talking about the friendly ranger,
0: the friendly ranger at Clontarf Castle.
1: Yeah, and or Clontarf. Oh, thank you. And he does like this whole spoken word thing at the beginning, like it's so profound. And then so they're doing this, and then this tiny little Stonehenge model comes down. And these um, little people dressed like leprechauns come out and start dancing around it. (laughs) And the guys are on stage while this is happening. And no one has ever been more bullshit than they are. Yeah. They're so BS about it and they just can't deal. And they're yelling about it, like, after the show. And, yeah, that's... I don't know exactly what David says, but he's just like... Yeah, it was in danger of being trampled, you know, so by dwarves, he says that, you know, Stonehenge isn't really that majestic when it's in danger of being trampled by small people. So that was very, very funny.
0: Well, and it's also just one of those things, again, when you're like this artist and you want to be uncompromising and you want to have this powerful statement and things just don't go your way at all.
1: And it's just, it's so undercutting in like such a funny way.
0: It makes you, it makes you seem like a fool. It makes you just seem like an absolute fool up there. And these guys, particularly in that song, wanted to be like these prophets of doom. Yeah. They're like
1: really trying to show you how it is. Like the ancient Druids and all this kind of stuff. We are the
0: prophets.
1: It's so funny when that happens. So I love that part. The other part that I felt like we needed to mention is the drummers.
0: Please, let's mention it. <laughs>
1: so, one of, like, their whole things in this is that they have, like, a history of cursed drummers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stumpy Peeps.
0: Great name, great was name. Was their
1: first drummer that was played by Ed Begley. Yep. Uh, And I don't remember, was he the one that died in a tragic gardening accident? Or was he the one that spontaneously
0: combusted? Oh, you got me. I don't remember. But
1: they die in these ridiculous
0: ways. I laugh through that part so much that it's hard for me, like, to really be specific with (laughs) the lines. I just remember seeing them sitting there at the table. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's nonsense. And, like, (laughs) McKeon, like, almost loses it. And he manages to save it. (laughs) <laughs> because it's so funny. I mean, I don't know how these guys couldn't laugh. It's so good.
1: I actually think, as much as I love Stonehenge, I think that the part where they're explaining the deaths of the drummers is my favorite. Because it, there's a part where they're talking about the tragic gardening accident, and <laughs> Christopher guesses something like, best left alone, really. <laughs> it's like, you don't really want to look into that too much. <laughs> and it's just said in such like a low key way that it just kills me. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean the deaths are spontaneous combustion, which apparently they're telling you happens all the time. It just leaves a little grease spot on the drum stool. Someone died in a tragic <laughs> a tragic gardening accident, and another one <laughs> was that someone choked on vomit. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, that really happened, so that's not funny. And then they were like, but but then they weren't really sure whose vomit it was.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: And then at the end of this movie, you know, after they've gone through all this stuff and things finally, you know, are starting to look up because Nigel comes back to the band and, you know, they're going to go tour in Japan. um their drummer throughout the movie is this Mick Shrimpton and uh, played by RJ Parnell or Rick Parnell. And uh, he blows up and they have another spontaneously combusted drummer. And then they get this guy, Joe Mama Besser becomes their drummer in Japan. So uh, it's great. And I think that would be so fun To just sit around and think of all the, you know, creative ways that your drummer could have died. That would have been my
0: favorite part of the improv. That would have been, like, a great board game. Like, you could have really, (laughs) you could have marketed that. How did your drummer die?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that could be a car game for us. Like, You know, one day when we're taking a ride and we're just in the car bored, we could just start thinking of other ways that a drummer of Spinal Tap could have
0: died. He threw himself into a juicer.
1: (laughs) That's great. Trampled by wild boars.
0: Uh, Jumped out the window and flew away and then was
1: crashed into a tree yeah
0: there we go there we go, there we go. <laughs> i mean that was thank you for being there for me on that one i wasn't sure That's I was, okay. Sometimes
1: was... this is the lesson that we want everyone to learn not everyone is as good as improv at improv all the time <laughs> as these guys
0: no i mean these people are are really
1: well also we're seeing the best of the best but this could lull you into a false sense of security that you could just do a whole movie with tons of improv and have it be good. And I have definitely seen movies where people were under that false impression. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm no, I'm none the better for it. I will tell you that. I'm no. not going to name any names because I like to stay positive around here. But you know when you've seen a movie where people kind of got too involved and interested in their own improv. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, you know, something I want to mention, and this has nothing to do with what we were just talking about, but I know we're heading towards the end here. I was thinking about uh, all the people that that just showed up for Quick Roll, and you mentioned Angelica Houston, Yes, right? We also had oh, yeah. Billy, Crystal Billy Crystal and Dana Carvey yep. as mimes.
1: Mimes, yep. It was very funny because I was this whole time talking about, like how we did um, When Harry Met Sally, Mm -hmm. and we were going to take Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal into the next movie, Princess Bride. Yep. And then we were going to drop off Billy Crystal and pick up Christopher Guest and bring him into the Spinal Tap. But it turns out that we brought Billy Crystal with us, too, because I totally forgot that he was a mime caterer. Yes. in In a scene at the Record Company party, which was really...
0: And he had a really good line. He was, you know, bossing around Dana Carvey, and he said, mime is money.
1: (laughs) Yeah, mime (laughs) is money. (laughs) Again, with the quick snappy one-liners from Billy.
0: And you know who else is great? is Fred Willard, who was also in this movie. we forgot about Fred Willard. Yes, I just was like, oh my God, Fred Willard.
1: Well, Fred Willard, we will talk about so much when we go to the Christopher Guest mockumentary later, because... Fred Willard in Waiting for Guffman is so funny. He's so funny and for your consideration.
0: He was funny in this too. I mean, it was oh, yeah. a very quick role. He was at the Air Force Base <laughs> where the band had been booked and his hair was not very long, but he talked about how his hair was getting kind of shaggy and he needed a cut. Yeah. It, you know, with these guys that have like, you know, hair halfway down their back or more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It was so good. Yeah, it was great. It was such a square in this. I loved it was it. very funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was another small part person who was really funny. Yeah, he's this.
0: perfect. Just like it's like another jewel in the crown. I so love
1: it. ramping up I guess, do you have any other final thoughts of anything that we haven't gone over?
0: I love the music. I would listen to that music over and over and I would never regret it. And I think that this band should just please just do a few more songs for us, <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, Everybody else is it. doing reunion tours. I know they did something when we were in high school, but we need it again. We need it right now. Yeah. We need the band back on the road. We <laughs> need Marty DeBerge out there giving us a part two. Where are they now? another that's a good idea another yes, VH1, vh1 right 1, where are they now correct so i think i think this uh is what's needed because it's just such a great story that such is such a great yeah, story is great i
1: love this movie
0: the other thing that i think is good that they touched on is that you have david st hubbis's girlfriend comes in and she's going to be a part of it she's going to be like the co-manager of the band and it causes friction and that happens people partner up And then they want to work together. And everybody kind of becomes part of this big group, whether they want to be or not. I mean, it was just another thing that they added in that is so right.
1: Yeah, well, and that was like a play on like the Yoko Ono Mm -hmm. girlfriend kind of coming in and trying to be in charge of things and screwing it up. Um, Well, it's,
0: I mean, you know, you run into this situation, I've seen it a bunch of times, many different ways. And, you know, I got to tell you, Sometimes it works like a billion times better with the new person involved. So I got to say that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's talk comfort film, comfort food. Well, my food would be the uh, buffalo chicken quesadilla that we used to get from uh, Uno. Oh, that's happy memories. Yes, yes, yes. So, and that's the reason that I would pick it because I have really happy memories of this movie. Um, this movie has some different elements that all come together to make a wonderful, wonderful hole. Yeah, wonderful hole. With a W. Got it. And
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, this buffalo chicken quesadilla, we used to go to Uno, which I'd never been to before you and me started dating and you went to it i don't know if you went all the time it was all near, the time it was near
0: your house yeah your it was mom's near house. the house we went all the time yeah
1: and you know we went and this is like an appetizer this was an appetizer on their menu i don't know if it's still there we haven't been there in years yeah um but it had like this kind of spicy grilled chicken with red onion and it was on like this flatbread not mm-hmm. really a tortilla it was more like a soft flatbread
0: it was a little crusty like crunchy in a yeah, great way it almost yeah. had
1: like a parmesan crust on it i wouldn't mm-hmm. have called this a quesadilla but they called it a quesadilla it was more like a flatbread pizza folded in half or something
0: yeah i used to get that as my meal i would just get one just for myself I it loved was it was so,
1: so delicious yeah. um i really wish i could transport us to get one now
0: i'd love to go there and get that
1: Um, but yeah that's what i would say this movie reminds me of because that's a great comfort food that i have great memories of and something that we shared together and we now share this movie together we both love it so much so that's my food (laughs) so
0: how about like a really good peanut butter and jelly sandwich you know i'm talking like you know some nice fat bread that's really soft okay you got some good creamy peanut butter okay You got a nice strawberry jelly, you know, on one side. You got the peanut butter on the other, and you do them both thick, you know. You put those together, and then you cut them in half. I'm not talking about triangles. I'm talking about in half, because that's how I used to have it growing up, and I love it that way.
1: So you're not a diagonal. You're like a vertical vertical or horizontal, just middle.
0: This is funny. Vertical cut on a sandwich to me is classy. That's like you're classy, okay. and if you do the horizontal <laughs> do... cut, it's like it's very it's very cool because it's like yeah we're just gonna get down and have this hearty I meal. Know, a
1: horizontal sandwich cut is kind of insane.
0: It's I'm like just that's a little
1: you. bit of a chaotic evil cut.
0: It's what I grew up with. Vertical, so well,
1: vertical, vertical to me is you're cutting through the top crust, down the middle through the bottom crust. Yeah. For me horizontal would be you're just cutting across from side crust to side crust Mm -hmm. so you have one half of the sandwich that's just the top Mm -hmm. and one half that's just the bottom that is insane to me i can't i have a little we all know i'm a little weird no i'm weird
0: too i mean i've cut it both ways i mean i've cut it from top to bottom i've had it from side to side I don't have any preference on that. So For I should me, say that. For me that's
1: a little wacky. I mean <laughs> like if you did a horizontal cut on a sandwich and gave me that sandwich. Yeah. I think I would give you back the sandwich.
0: Oh wow, you just say I don't want I this. would
1: just be like no. I would just be like, Here you go, that's not
0: happening. It's I I mean it's <laughs> it's never anything I thought about. I was just like, If we get it in half, I just wanted it in half and I, I didn't mind well, I'm how not, it came about.
1: I'm not really judging anyone else, but I am saying <laughs> yeah. that
0: I'm judging you If John. someone
1: yeah. handed me a horizontal <laughs> cut sandwich, I would just put it back in their hands. We're in their mouths. We're yeah. in their face. We're on the ground.
0: Uh, well, this is good to know because I, I've never, <laughs> I've never done this for you, and I mean, I think I'm lucky because I think if I did, I may not be here today.
1: Well, we've talked about you know Dungeons and Dragons, and so what I'm going to do after we leave this room, yeah, is look up the moral alignment of sandwich cutting. <laughs> and I am really definitely going to tell you that a horizontal cut is going to be in the chaotic column. I don't know where in the chaotic. I mean, I think it'll probably be chaotic good, because you're still eating half and half Mm -hmm. on your sandwich. Chaotic evil would be like you just cut off the crust, and you give somebody like half just crust and half the rest of the sandwich. I would never do that. I know. That's why it's chaotic evil. You're not chaotic evil. That would be a really But I'm just saying there's got to be like a neutral good person that's gonna eat a, a, a vertical cut sandwich that's more my style
0: what about a person that just like takes one piece of bread and then cuts it or folds it you know and it's just like they ate a half they just made a half have you ever seen that i
1: mean maybe that's a true neutral kind yeah. of a person i don't know
0: that to me is like What? what if ooh. you
1: made two halves no and then you no. just said that was one sandwich
0: oh that's, I, that's wrong. I hope no one has ever done that to me.
1: Maybe that's like <laughs> neutral hope. evil. I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm going to go after this and Google moral alignment sandwich cut and just see if that exists. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then I will be creating a theory of that. That so.
0: sounds awesome. All
1: right. So that's the end of our This is Final Tap episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're halfway through the Reiner rampage. <laughs>
0: The Reiner Rockoff, uh, <laughs> the Reiner Rain and, you Run. you know, it's
1: been so much fun so far. I mean.
0: <laughs> I like the way, we've been having a real good time out here. We've uh,
1: been having a blast, just so you're aware. <laughs> um, no, but really, it's been fun. Even if I sounded insane when I said that, that's okay.
0: Well, you're on the rampage. What yeah, are you going to do? Yeah,
1: I am. Just. You know, enjoy it. It's the rampage. It's
0: just that Reiner rampage. It's
1: kind of like the Purge, Oof. but it's Rob Reiner movies. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's nothing like the Purge. No, not even close. Oh, okay, I just say things. Okay, I do
0: too. It's good.
1: Yeah, we like it. Mm. Um, and you laughed, so I won because making you laugh is a very difficult thing to do. Um, all right. So next week
0: we will be back with stand by me yes
1: yes stand by me stand a great me. movie that we both love
0: mm-hmm. another one from the young days it's, that we've seen a bunch and can't get enough of
1: it's kind of getting to the point where it's like i can't decide who picked what movie because I, i'm
0: right with you i'm like uh, who picked it i don't we know we both
1: pick every one of these rob Reiner movies because yeah. they're just too good
0: everything from him like he was just a machine
1: and we're not going to talk about like misery because it's you know that it's not comforting no but it's an amazing movie a
0: few good men another amazing movie
1: yeah he's got a lot of really great freaking movies and i'm sure um, there's
0: some we're even missing but yeah this guy is just he's he solid. Is a hero yeah so it's perfect so
1: we hope you're enjoying listening to these as much as we're enjoying talking about them mm-hmm. Um, as always jump on and follow us on social media for more interactive kind of stuff polls um, quizzes occasionally, Yeah, memes out the wazoo.
0: Send us a message. Say what you're into. You know, maybe we'll get it cooking on there. Maybe we'll get a different type of poll happening.
1: Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, maybe
0: we'll start, you know, doing finger paint and putting that up. You just tell us, man, and we're there for you. <laughs>
1: you just never know what we're going to do. No. Um, But, yeah, so, and, you know, if you have other friends who enjoy podcasts and you want to give us a good word, please uh, feel please. free to share us to people. We love to have more listeners out there um so we will see you next week for stand by me we will stay comfy
0: stay comfy everybody